the mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that they may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who, make, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your staff or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on the thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. But to the wicked person, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things, I kept silent. You thought I was exactly like you, but I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this. You who forgot God, or I will tear you to pieces, and no one, with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice, thank offerings, honor me, and to the blameless, I'll show my salvation. Well, good morning. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you all. Uh, keep your Bibles open there in, on uh, Psalm 50. We will take a look at that this morning. Uh, but I'm going to just open in a word of prayer for us. Um, as we come to God's word, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time so far this morning. We thank you that we can sing praises to you. We thank you that we can hear just a wonderful testimony of your grace and your goodness uh, on our lives and on someone in particular's life. We thank you for Hilton's testimony. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can come around your word like this. We thank you for... Uh, yeah, we also thank you for your provision for us as a church. We thank you for uh, the collection that was taken this morning. And, yeah, Father, we pray that you continue to grow us, not uh, just in numbers, but in uh, true uh, desire and joy in knowing you as Lord and Savior of our lives. And may our lives be a response to that reality. So, Father, as we turn to your word now, we pray that it may continue to uh, we may continue to grow in our thankfulness for who you are as 
the Almighty One, as God, as Lord of our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we noted, uh, you can see in the start of this psalm, it begins, the Mighty One, God the Lord. So if you're wondering who this is uh, focused on, this is about the Lord God, the Mighty One, uh, our God, who we serve. Before we jump too far into this, I think what we need to do is just consider for a moment um, what things cost. Uh, we are fully aware that we live in a world where we understand when we say something costs a lot, uh, we understand monetary value. So when we think of petrol prices, for all of us, it somehow affects us. Uh, petrol prices have shot up. It costs us to a lot more now to go and do something. It costs us to get from point A to point B. Costs are all around us. It affects the food prices. Cost of food goes up. Uh, life costs us. Uh, maybe there are things in your mind uh, that in your daily week or in your weeks and days that uh, cost you. Maybe it's something less uh, monetary. Maybe it's more time-wise. Maybe time is important to you. So there are things that can cost us in different ways. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it is time. Sometimes it is energy. Um, but we all have things that cost us stuff. So I want you to just reflect for a moment on what really costs you. Um, and unfortunately, I think in some ways it will become a financial thing, more often than not. As a church, we are looking at finances being an issue on one level. There is cost involved. Life as we know it within this society is expensive. It costs. Unfortunately, when you come to God's word, especially a psalm like Psalm 50, it is dealing with a cost in a way that we might not immediately connect with. This is talking about sacrifice. Now, the reason why I want to highlight just for a second cost for us is we have miss, we miss the point in some ways, not the point, but we miss the, the, the weight of sacrifice because we don't understand sacrifice as we do as they did. So when you look at things today, when you hear the idea of sacrifice, we think, oh, I'll give up something. But when you give up something, it doesn't necessarily mean it costs you something. So the, there's an there's a indifferen- imbalance between the cost of something versus giving up of something. So today when we say, oh, I will sacrifice watching TV or I will sacrifice some of my time, uh, but it might not be a financial cost or a financial sacrifice, but it's a, sac- a sacrifice in our understanding. Just to get into the mindset, so we, I'm trying to drag this out so we can really feel a bit of the weight. Going back into the world that is Psalm 50 that we are looking at, the psalm has a cost effect. There is a cost involved. The first aspect of it is that when you come to sacrifice to God, you come bearing an animal. An animal that is directly connected to your livelihood. It is something that you have been looking after, you've been raising, and now you have to bring it and give it up for it to be slaughtered. Uh, In the context of the first section of this psalm in particular, it's not just any sacrifice. It is particularly one of them that is highlighted. It is a 
burnt sacrifice, which literally is burning the animal that you bring completely. There's nothing left of it. Not even the priests can eat anything of it. It is completely obliterated. So it is putting money, if we can put it in today's terms, in the fire when you go home to Bri, instead of buying meat, putting your money in the fire and burning it. I know it's not quite that, but I want us to understand how we can relate to this. There is a cost for them. It is taking something that is important to them, that helps them get by. It is their livelihood, and they have to give it up. That's why it is a sacrifice. It actually costs. A sacrifice is something that actually costs you. More than just time, but actually money. Actually your well-being, your getting through in a month. It has to have a weight to it. So I hope that kind of gives us just a little bit of perspective. It's not something that we can kind of just say, oh, I'll, I'll give up just doing this for a week. It is actually taking out of what you would need in a week to pay back. So the question then is, and it kind of ties in with something that Hilton reflected on in his testimony, but what is the cost of your sin? difficult one to answer but what is the cost of your sin all the sins that you have committed in your life what is the cost of that so imagine this every time you sin uh, i know it's a really bad example so don't take me too seriously on this but imagine every time you sin you got to go outside you got to light a fire and you got to take out at least let's say maybe five percent ten percent of your monthly salary and you got to burn it That feels uncomfortable. Maybe we will stop sinning so much (laughs) if we remembered that it costs us. But unfortunately, we live in a society where we miss the, the cost of sin. We recognize that sin has been dealt with and we jump to Jesus and we're thankful for him and we're going to get to Jesus without a doubt. But I think we've lost the gravity and the severity of the cost of sin in our culture. In this day and age. Does that kind of help get perspective of the psalm? (laughs) It's a difficult one to swallow. This psalm takes it one step further. Okay, Now just to aggravate everybody. So now you've sinned. You lit a fire. You're burning your money. Now you've got to, according to this psalm, take a little bit more out of your pocket and burn a little bit more because you're thankful. So what are you going to do? <laughs> if you can cut costs, we generally try and cut costs. We are conniving. <laughs> we are schemers. This psalm has an issue of two sacrifices. One is the burnt offering of getting yourself in line with God again. And the other one is a thank offering. Now, if you picked up in the psalm as we read it, the one issue is God says, I don't have anything to judge you on your burnt offerings. I don't have an issue with that. My issue is that you're not giving thanks and giving a thank offering. So God's issue with Israel here is that there is a religiousness to their offering to get themselves correct and in line with God again. And I say that in inverted commas because we need to look at what is happening in the psalm. But they are not giving thanks, meaning they're not paying even more giving more of what they have 
because of who God is. So they're religious, but they're not thankful. They understand God to maybe be wrathful, but not necessarily gracious. They understand that they need to give something because they are God's covenant people, but beyond that, thanksgiving is not as important. Sounds like us, actually. Still today, we, not, we don't change. We do the bare minimum, what we have to do. We put in the time, the effort, our hours. But when it comes to actually being thankful or saying something good or getting excited about something, we kind of, it's, it's not as important. We take certain things as secondary. So this is part of the issue. So let's take a closer look now at Psalm 50 to try and unpack that. He says, The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. So firstly, God is a God who is in control of his creation. He is the one who is above his creation. And this is important in light of what the psalmist is going to carry on saying. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. So notice just the beautiful language that's used there. God is the one that, he's the one that orchestrates the rising and the setting of the sun and all of that. But it's God that shines. He is far more radiant than even his own creation. Just beautiful language to pick up. Really highlighting who God is and how perfectly amazing and beautiful he is. Verse 3, our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. He is angry. Maybe that's how we want to read it initially. But he is a God who judges. And he deals with things according to how they need to be dealt with. In, with regards to this psalm, it sets us up that this is a God who is coming to judge an issue. A sin. A problem with his people. That's what he's coming to deal with. Verse 5. He says, Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. He's saying, gather my people, my covenant people, my consecrated people. So immediately when we look at this, we go, okay, it's not us. This is just the Israelites. Okay, We want to do that. We want to hide from this. But what it is dealing with is clearly here, it is dealing with Israel as God's chosen people. There is an issue within them. We'll get to how this impacts us, but up front... What it is talking about is the fact that there is a problem not outside of Israel, but inside Israel. This is an internal issue. So it's easy to talk about sin and brokenness when we look outside of the, at the world because the world doesn't know Christ. The world doesn't know who God is. So we can understand that there's brokenness. He is saying this is an internal issue. This is something within that needs to be dealt with. I'm coming to judge something that's inside my consecrated people. He says then in verse 6, And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is the God of justice. Reiterating again that he is a just God. He is the one that can judge, and he will come and judge. Now we pick up in verse 7. It says, Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God your God. If you were doubting, there we go. He is now coming to testify against them. He's bringing an account against them. 
Verse 8, I bring no charge, which is interesting, but he says, I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. So this is where he doesn't have an issue, is, as we said, he doesn't have an issue with their willingness to make the bare minimum sacrifice. A burnt offering, an offering to be set right in some ways before God. If you fail, you come with your offering. That he has not got an issue. But notice what he says. The God who created all things, the one who orchestrates the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun, he says, I have, in verse 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. The God who created all things owns all of creation. It is his. So he's saying, you you can do that sacrifice. I don't need them because they are mine. So as you sacrifice, you're, you're, you're sacrificing what is already mine. But there's something deeper, something that is not entirely his. And we're going to get to that. This is an issue within Israel that there is something that in some ways doesn't entirely belong to him. Not, not entirely. It still belongs to him. But he wants it more. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He's saying it's not about the sacrifice ultimately. He says that is a requirement, but that's not the point. I don't hold it against you. You're performing the right sacrifices, but that's not where the issue lies here. He highlights where the issue lies, starting with verse 14. Notice what he says. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. So the fact that he's asking for a thank offering is an indication that this isn't happening. Israel is not, or many in Israel, are not performing a sacrifice of thanks offering. He says, And call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. So the question that we want to ask is, well, what is a thank offering? Why, why a thank offering? Why is that so important? Well, it's weird because as we're going to get to the end, you're going to see there's a bit of a contrast to the order of things. But a thank offering, if you want to flip, I'm not going to read it. You can go read it because this is a long psalm as is. But go and read Psalm 107. It's about verse 20 around there. It highlights an example of a thank offering when it is applicable. And the time when it becomes applicable is when someone recognizes their brokenness, their sinfulness, comes to a point of repentance, not only does what is needed, but gives thanks to a God who is able to save. Thank offering is a response to someone that has come back to their senses. 
A thank offering is done when someone recognizes the cost of their sin and not only deals with the cost of their sin, but gives thanks because thanks is due to God because he is the one who can save. So the issue is going to expand. Verse 16, but to the wicked person, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with the adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was, I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusation before you. These are not only just wicked sins in that sense, but it is things that are flowing from the heart. These are issues that are coming out of the mouths, out of the actions. It's interesting, their sacrifices are before God. Their offerings are before God, but his law is behind them. (laughs) Did you notice that in the text? They do not value the system, the world that God has created for them. They do the sacrifices and put the offering before God the whole time. But when it comes to his law, that's behind their backs. They don't follow God because they love him. They don't follow God with all of their hearts. There are wicked people among his covenant people. who are not due to recite the laws because they are scheming, they are deceiving, they are testifying falsely. Everything that flows from the heart is just corrupted and broken. But it's interesting that this is coming out of a call to give thanks. I mean, a while ago, we looked at it as a church. We were really, I think it was during Thanksgiving month, we were also looking at it. But we, every now and then we come back around to it. Is when we carry ourselves, when you are trying, if you are finding yourself really negative and not in a good space, start saying good things about people or positive things, reciting who Christ is. It becomes very difficult to remain Negative and in a bad space. Well, similar kind of concept here. Give thanks. Because if you're giving thanks more regularly, it's going to become a lot harder to almost do what's wrong. The more you recite not only the laws, that's not the point, but actually give thanks to God for who He is, you're going to find it a lot harder to become corrupted by this world. So the issue is not, we can tick the boxes. But when, when do you mean it? When do you really mean what you're doing? 
And I think that's what, he, what, is getting, what the psalmist is getting at here and what they are conveying God's desire is. To move from just ticking boxes to genuinely being transformed in a thankfulness for who God is. says verse 22 and 23 we're going to come to a point of just concluding what it means for them and then how this actually applies to us all the more consider this you who forget god or i will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me and to the blameless i will show my salvation. Again, consider this, you who forget God. I think this goes deep. It's forgetting God within your heart, what he did for you. I think part of what a, what a thank offering does is it reminded, at least for Israel, what God had done for them as a nation, as a people. Not only just in a moment, but out of all of the circumstances that they had been through, out of Egypt, out of the years of wandering in the desert, coming into the promised land, a response of thankfulness for that. Consider this, you who forget God. God doesn't want us to forget what he has done for us. God didn't want Israel to forget what he did for them when he brought them out of Israel. Remember the Ten Commandments. Even that. It doesn't highlight the law first, but it highlights what God has done. Remember the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. There is a necessity to remember, rejoice, and be thankful for his salvation. Consider him. Consider this, you who forget God. Or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. When we forget, we are left in a position not only for judgment, but to actually be ripped apart by this world for that matter. But those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. So again, this is weird because we don't do thank offerings. It's not part of our system when we look at it. But a thank offering is over and above an offering of requirement of coming to God. But how does this apply to us? Well, when we look at a psalm like this, immediately we want to jump to Jesus. And we want to say, well, Jesus has dealt with with this kind of psalm. There is an issue of sin, and God has saved us because of Jesus Christ. That is true. Jesus Christ did come into this world. He set things right. He became the perfect sacrifice, not only for now, today, but for all of our lives, and for all those that call upon Jesus Christ as Lord. He set us free far greater than even what God did for Israel out of Egypt. 
He set us free from sin and death, not just captivity. And when we look to a psalm like this, we see the cost of our sin in light of Christ. But again, it becomes complicated because we don't understand the full weight of that cost. We know that Jesus, the pure and spotless lamb, gave up his life for us. And it cost God everything. But for us, we still have a disconnect from how much that truly costs. And so if there's ever something that we should be doing is reflecting on what Christ has done, his life given for our sin, and to give thanks. As abstract as it is today, it is something we need to practice. It is so important because if we lose sight of giving thanks to God for what Christ has done, the death of Christ becomes a sentiment and not a reality. The death of Christ loses its value when we just think about his death on the cross for us and don't give thanks. Giving thanks is a response to who he is, to what he has done. I want to wager, maybe not a bet, it's not right to bet. I want to I would wager that if we were far more thankful as Christians, I think our lives, our conduct would look a lot different. If we are truly thankful for who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, we would feel a lot more the weight and the cost of the life of Christ that we would perhaps be... I want to say more transformed by him. It's interesting, just to pause there for a moment, think on whether it's birthday time or eh, actually outside of a birthday time. Have you ever given a gift to someone just for the sake of giving a gift? Yeah? No? Maybe? Otherwise, think of a birthday time. You give someone a gift. Give them a gift, they take it, and they walk away. Do you think they're thankful for it? Uh, Talbot's pointing at my wife. <clears throat> I don't know what that's about. Um, <laughs> so think about this. If you get a gift, or someone gives you a gift, and you walk away, it doesn't show thankfulness. And beyond that, when you walk away... It may the reality may be that you're less thankful if you don't say thank you. It's a simple example. But when you respond in thankfulness, the gift gains more meaning. It gains a memory, a moment, something of significance. There is something in saying thank you when you receive something that it imprints in our minds, and it's something that we remember. And often a good gift given and received, when you are truly thankful, you're never going to forget that. When you're jumping up and down, you can't believe you've received what you've wanted or whatever it is, and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, 
I doubt you're going to quickly forget that if that thank you is out of sincerity and you truly believe it. It, it sinks in deep. And then also what sinks in deeper is a sense of loyalty for that person that just gave you the best gift ever. And the more you want to thank the person, the more loyalty you have to that person and so it goes. I'm not trying to paint weird pictures, but just think about that. When someone gives you a good gift and you're truly thankful, you're going to say it and you're going to draw closer to that person. Almost say love them a little bit more. But let's not use that language because maybe it's not right. But when God gives us the greatest gift that is his son, Jesus Christ, do we say thank you enough? Now, we're comparing saying thank you to giving to actually sacrificing, giving up something. Not just giving up something, but giving something that actually affects our lives. But at least, the least we can do is give thanks to him. Not out of sentiment, as I say, but out of a genuine heart that is thankful. And so this morning, we are going to partake in communion together. And it is the ideal opportunity to really reflect on Jesus Christ, what he has done, remember what he has done, that his body was broken and his blood was spilled for us, and to be thankful. And when we get there, perhaps what we can do, just before we actually do that, is when we get the elements, we can spend a bit of time just actually saying why we are so thankful for Jesus Christ. To remember him. It is so difficult to actually take something like this passage and to try and get us to feel the cost and the weight of thankfulness that we should have. I would love to say we need to actually give something. (laughs) Not out of payment, but out of giving up something for real sacrifice, that we actually feel it. That's got to be the weight of of sacrificial thanks. So the little kind of phrase to summarize, if there's anything that you want to walk away with, God is not calling us, according to this psalm, to be legally obedient, but to be obediently thankful. (laughs) Kind of flips it a bit. But so obedient in our thankfulness. That's It's a heart that just yearns and desires to walk in thankfulness. That is what is necessary. That you will give up anything and everything because of his sacrifice and his goodness. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me and to the blameless I will show my salvation. In Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice, he has done that for us. We are made blameless. He has shown us salvation. The least we can do is show him thankfulness. Let's pray. Well, gracious Heavenly Father, 
What more can we say but thank you? Thank you for your son. Our thanks can actually never be enough. And we can never fully know the cost and the price that you paid for us. But Father, may our our thankfulness never wane. May our thankfulness never depreciate. May it grow. May it compound as we draw closer to you. Father, if if we're losing sight of our thankfulness, may we come back to remembering you. And as we're going to spend time coming around your table this morning, may that be perhaps a reminder that we need. A reminder of who you are. Of your great mercy. Of your great love that you first showed us. So may we respond with hearts of thankfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.